We're carrying on our series that I've been doing, which is about following Jesus. And the topic I'm looking at today is treasures buried in grief and loss. Treasures buried in grief and loss. People around the world right now going through tremendous grief and loss. Lots of churches in Ukraine and churches in Russia. Yeah, we just lift them up to you, Jesus. Mm. Believers yeah. in the churches who are suffering and yeah. in tremendous grief and loss mm. right now. Mm. Men and women who don't know Christ who are here, wondering what's happening to family and friends. We lift them up yeah. and ask God for your comfort mm. and your presence. Pray for men and women from Russia who are here, men and women from the Ukraine and here to connect to believers so that they can be touched with the comfort that we have for them. Yeah. We do pray for world wisdom and world leaders, yeah. God, yeah. to know what to do and how to handle this, God. We do look to you in this, this moment where we're just again reminded that we're not in control, that we don't have the power of being in control but we have a God who is sovereign over all of history and we look to you. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to talk about the treasures that are buried in grief and loss. See loss is loss. What would be insignificant for you might be catastrophic for me. Uh, each and every one of us are unique. We've got unique temperaments. We've got unique histories. And loss can be a young person getting to year 11 and going into year, year 12 and 13. That can be a loss as they kind of say goodbye to friends and they transition to whatever's next. A loss could be children growing up and being less dependent on mum and dad. A loss can be, we had this some dear, dear friends who moved to Australia and we had just been in one another's lives all the time and there was a loss of them being there and us being here and not being able to spend time with them. Loss can be the death of a loved one. Loss can be a betrayal. And sometimes when we're going through life, what we want to do is we want to cover our grief and loss and we feel we want to end the pain really quickly. And sometimes we, we, in our mindsets, we see losses as obstacles that we just need to clear away, got to get through it, that somehow this grief, this loss, this thing that's happening is like uh, something that is slowing us down or hindering us. It's very much a Western idea that we're on a way to somewhere <laughs> We're on our way to a destination and we've got to get there as quick as we possibly can. And then pain comes in, loss comes in, problems come in. And we see those things as problems that need to be solved to get over so that I can get on with life. That somehow this thing that's in front of me is preventing me from living life. I want to get life back to normal as quickly as as possible. It's interesting though when you read the Bible and you read church history and you read about amazing men and women of the faith 
you realise that key to maturity is about coming to God in the moments of grief and loss, rather than it being something we've got to get over and move past that is some kind of interruption to our life, is actually a process of acknowledging what is happening or what isn't happening or what is just happening or the disappointment or discouragement and bringing that to God and recognising God in a moment. See, I think we place such a huge emphasis in the church in Western Europe of being in control. We, we think that we're in control. We think that we're the masters of our own destiny, that we can just solve things, sort things, push through things. And we have this idea as well that everything is onwards and upwards, like the curve that goes up and to the right. Everything has got to be bigger, got to be better, got to be faster, got to be more successful. And we don't really have a grid for grief, we don't really have an understanding of, of what is hidden, the treasures that are hidden in grief and loss. And what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying that God is the source of loss. I'm not saying that God is this cruel king in heaven and he's just thinking, I want to teach my people lessons. So he comes up with creative solutions and strategies and ideas to bring to them. Rather, God wants to take the reality of the world we live in, the brokenness of the world we live in, the corruption of the world we live in that can sometimes be painful and brutal and harsh. And he wants to take those things and he wants to redeem them and he wants to enlarge us and he wants to transform us through them. That whatever our loss is and whatever we ever go through, contained within it, is always an invitation to encounter God in a new way and an invitation to understand his goodness in a new way. And so when interruption comes and grief and loss comes, God invites us into something. Take, for example, the grief and loss of the last two years of, of a COVID yeah. pandemic. To pause and reflect and come to God with it. Even on a most basic level as this, church attendance in the UK on a Sunday morning is down by 30% across the board. There are people we love who we're longing to see back in the room on a Sunday. And for various reasons, we haven't reconnected yet. We have to be aware that there's a grief and there's a loss in in those things and so in our western mind we think no church goes from the left to the right and it's always a growth curve it's always um, onwards and upwards but there's an invitation to encounter god in these moments take for example personal maturity and growth we think we grow from a baby Christian to a, a teenage Christian to an adult Christian. And when we're an adult Christian, as it were, we never have any perplexity or confusion anymore. Or we never have any problems in our beliefs anymore. But actually, all of us at times can struggle at times with doubt and uncertainty. 
We can have moments that are perplexing and confusing. So things can go downwards. Take Jesus. He preaches one sermon after the breaking of, after feeding 5,000 people. One message about who he is and what's going to happen through his death and resurrection. And 5,000 people walk away. That's not a western growth curve from the left upwards, is it? He has to ask the others, are you going to go as well? And they turn around and say, actually, we don't want to go anywhere. You've got the words of eternal life. But others became offended and turned their backs on Jesus. And he accepted that was part of what it meant to be obedient to the Father. And so when pain comes, we do three things quite often. When pain comes, we kind of almost have a reflex of we deny it. <laughs> We deny its reality and we don't feel it. We minimise it. We say, oh, it's nothing. There are people going through worse than me. No, if you're in pain, it might be catastrophic for you, but minimal for another person. You don't have to compare the thing that causes you to be in a place of grief and loss. If it's big for you, it's big for God, and he wants you to come with come to him with it. You don't have to deny it. You don't have to minimise it. Another thing we do with our pain is we numb it as quick as we can. We don't want to face the grief and the loss we feel, so we might work extra hard. We throw ourselves into our work. We might throw ourselves into Netflix series we've got no real interest in, but we watch them. Or we might throw ourselves into shopping, or food, or alcohol, or busyness, or blame. Anything we can possibly find to redirect our attention from having to feel the fact that we're in grief and we're in loss. We don't want to face it. We have all these kind of defensive manoeuvres so that we don't have to face reality. But throughout the Bible, grief and loss and facing it and bringing it to God is a fundamental way that God causes us to grow in maturity. There's this invitation to be enlarged. There's an opportunity that COVID brings redemptively, a revelation we were never in control in the first place. We thought we were in control. But we were never in control. If someone had said to you five years ago, there'll come a play time when the global church of Jesus Christ will be closed down in the whole earth and not able to meet on a Sunday, you'd have thought, no way, that will never happen. But what it brings is a revelation of, we were never in control. We were surprised. And so, in this moment of grief and loss, we need to come to God with our doubts, with our frustrations, with our mourning. Yeah. That pain and grief is a moment that has to be honestly felt. And it has to be felt and brought to God. That Jesus is waiting for us in reality. That's where he meets us. It's sitting with things that we don't understand. It's talking to God about things that we can't solve and control, and this is hard. It's having no superficial answers. I, I, I think there's some truth in a sentence like, 
if it's not good, it's not the end. There's some truth in that. There's some obvious truth in God works all things together for good. But what is that good he's actually working all things together to? It's the conformity to Jesus Christ. It's actually that we would be like Jesus. So he takes all the pain, all the grief, all the suffering, and we bring it to him, and the end result is we are conformed, we become like Jesus in a greater way. That is the promise of God. Now, all things work together for good. That can be you get the job. It can be you get the breakthrough. It can be you get the healing. It can be you get the visa. It can be you get the provision. It can be all of those things, but it's much more profound and deeper than that. It's a supernatural invitation to think more and more like Jesus, to speak more and more like Jesus, to be more and more like Jesus in our daily life. This is profound. The Bible says that Jesus Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. Amen. He, he's God-man, fully God, fully man, but he learned something in the place of suffering. So, I'm going to talk about three things that we can do to bring our stuff to God when we're going through grief and loss. Number one, Pay attention to pain. Pay attention to pain. Don't numb it. Don't minimise it. Don't deny it. The authentic spiritual life is an absolute commitment to reality. It's in reality that God meets us. Not in how we think we should behave or what we think we should believe or what we think our faith levels should be like but in reality, not an escape from reality. Amen. Christianity has to be rooted in what's really going on. Hallelujah. I read this quote, there is a psalm for every sigh. Take King David, and actually they say that most of the Psalms are, are laments, expressing his sadness, expressing the reality of his losses, expressing the reality of his disappointments and his fears. Someone, I think it's Bill Johnson says, he, he reads the Psalms until he finds his voice in the Psalms until he finds a psalm that resonates with how he's feeling, what he's going through and what he's thinking. And then he prays that psalm back to God. Psalms help us pray our struggles, bring our emotions to God. Because life at times can be hard, difficult and brutal. Psalms enable us to cry out to God for his comfort and care. Bring everything to God including your doubts about God's faithfulness Psalm 42 verse 3 tears have been my food day and night Psalm 43 2 why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy Psalm 88 6 to 7 
You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. You have overwhelmed me. It's bringing it to God. The worst thing we can do is ignore God in the midst of the pain of life. First thing then is pay attention to pain. The second thing is wait in the confusing in-between. Friday, Jesus is crucified. Saturday is the confusing in-between. I don't know how that... When we kind of get the fact that they'd run away, most of them had gone away from Jesus and struggled. And on day two, the, there's no understanding of what's going to happen. The confusing in-between. See, when we bring it to God and acknowledge it in reality, mm. it, stop, it forces us to stop, to wait, to change our plans. Mm. Busyness, productivity, mm. all go out the window. Waiting is almost always confusing and disorientating. Day two, we feel helpless and we have to be totally dependent. Day one, Joseph gets a dream. Mm -hmm. Your brothers are going to bow down. Mm -hmm. Day two, they, they, they chuck him in a cistern. They, they pretend that he's been ravished and he's dead. Make a, make a mock-up funeral and, then, and sell him as a slave where he's falsely accused and sent to prison for 10 plus years. Bible says, but God was with Joseph. Day two, 10 plus years. King David, son of Jesse, you're gonna be king. Day two. 13 years of being falsely accused and running away from King Saul, who wants to kill him, until he becomes king. Day one, Noah, build an ark for me. Day two, building this huge thing that's the size of an American football pitch. And it says everybody in the days of Noah went on about their lives. They must have really mocked this guy. What on earth are you building? crazy guy believed God day three the rains come one of my most confusing church history stories is the French Protestant woman uh, Marie Durand who so 17th century and the Catholics are persecuting the, the Protestants and, and they really want her to I mean, we're not, they're not completely sure why they threw her in the Tower of Egmont, but part of it says it was about <coughs> her family member was a preacher. Some of it was about her Protestant beliefs. And they basically, all they said was, if you renounce, if you renounce what you believe about God, you can go free. And they left the door open. Day two, 38 years she goes in as a teenager 
38 years later, she's in her 50s, decides to, to watch her youth go, doesn't get married, will never have children. You can go there today and she writes and she's scraped into the wall, I resist. And it's there now, you can see it. See it. We've seen it. 38 years. I don't understand that. It's confusing. It's disorientating. She's totally helpless, totally dependent on God. Abraham is going to have a baby. Is it 25 years later when he's pretty much dead and his wife is barren? God comes to him and says, this time next year. Day two, 25 years. See, in the confusing in-between, God is removing control. He breaks control off us. Amen. He breaks the capacity for self-will. Joseph, you can't get yourself out of prison. David, you can't make yourself king. Noah, you can't make the rains come. Abraham, you can't make, you can't make this work. <clears throat> he breaks the unhealthy attachment that we hold on to stuff with. See, in day two, God is redeeming the grief and loss and is making room for something new and something better. So in this place of day two, in this place of grief and loss, we've noticed the pain, we're in the middle when it's not solved, we need Holy Spirit. Because everything in us wants to take back control and everything in us wants to solve it in our own wisdom, our own strength and our own capacity. Day two sometimes looks like inactivity. It looks like a waiting on God. It's a, there's something holy about day two. It's a precious moment where we decide, I won't try and fix it. I won't try and solve it. I'm going to wait on God and see what God will do because you're going to birth something new and glorious out of this. When we're in day two, we have to be so careful in the confusing moment not to rebel against God. Many people, when they heard Jesus talk about his body and his blood and you have to eat, his flesh and drink his blood. They were offended and they turned their backs on God. We can become offended at God when, when we don't get things the way we want them to be. We can be tempted to run away from God. We can be tempted to quit. But on day two, we have to know this. God is working beneath the surface. God is doing something in the silence, in the apparent inactivity. God is working. God is building. God is shaping. God is conforming. God is going to make you more and more like Jesus. And God is going to make me more and more like him. He's making room for something new and something much, much better. There are rich insights and mercies available and he will waste absolutely nothing just like that beautiful japanese art of pottery making 
when the pot is broken and they glue it all back together with gold and it looks magnificent, but you can see the lines of the, of the things that the story of this pot. Thirdly, allow the old to birth the new. Our losses are very, very real. The reality of COVID and, and the reality on people's mental health and the reality for our young people and the reality in the schools and the reality of what some of you may even now still be suffering as a result of COVID, the reality of loved ones who have died because of COVID, the reality on the impact of the church, the reality of all these things are very, very, very real and we have to feel them and we need to bring that to God. We mustn't deny it or minimize it or numb it. We have to bring the reality to him. But he will birth something new out of it. 1944, China. The government said all the Christians, missionaries must leave the country. And Christianity is now illegal. I believe 14 million Christians went underground. 1970-something, you can now worship it more freely. 70 million of them, believers, they've been just sharing the gospel in villages and towns and whole regions have come to know Jesus. You, you close it down, Jesus is still working. Amen. Out of the pain, something real and beautiful was birthed. Enormous gifts wait on the other side. We can say, Jesus, why did you allow your global church to be closed in the way that it was for 18 months? Because you are going to birth something new on the other side. Amen. One of the things he births is God offers a revelation of himself. I would say primarily this is the most beautiful thing in any type of grief and loss. We get an opportunity to see how incomprehensible how infinite and how perfect he is. We get an encounter with God. I'd say another thing is this, God makes us softer and more compassionate. When we've gone through grief and loss, we are able to comfort others with the comfort that we have received. I'd say that compassion in the life of Jesus was one of the greatest motivations for all the miracles, like the, the raising of the, the widow's son in name, he has compassion on her and resurrects her son. Compassion is a supernatural force that brings us into the place of seeing the miraculous break out. When we know we've been through pain and we've known the comfort of God, we have a compassion that we can take to others. It breaks us out of apathy and it breaks us out of indifference. In the old, the old giving birth to the new, God births gifts in us. God births gifts in us. He enlarges our capacity to surrender to his will. He causes us to no longer need to impress other people. Because suddenly we, we are going through pain and loss and we are seen by others. Rather than covering them, we're able to acknowledge our brokenness and our vulnerability. Through grief and loss, God breaks us free from the illusion that there is something more beautiful than the gift of loving God or being 
loved by him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, was safe and sound in America during World War II. But he was so moved by the plight of, of Nazism and he was so moved by the state of the church and so moved that he wanted to see this broken, that he left the safety of America and he came to Germany. In, on April the 9th, 1945, he was executed by the Nazis. He said this, This is the end for me and the beginning of life. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we feel it. We don't minimise it. We don't say, well, I'm not meant to feel anything because there's a weight of glory coming into the future. We feel it, but the thing that gets birthed through pain and loss is a revelation that the best is yet to come. For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that is, re is to be revealed to us. I'm going to pray for us. But one of the things that God wanted to do was he wanted to come to people whose spirits had been crushed because they'd suffered so much. And he wanted to come as the comforter, and he wanted to come and heal a crushed spirit. And sometimes that comes through, Proverbs says, a, true, a, a, a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. But it also talks about when there's disappointment, it can crush us. And sometimes people can go through one thing after another thing after another thing, <coughs> and they become almost numbed to any delight in God. There's still a faithfulness, but there's a deadness too. And God just wants to come and birth something new in you. And I feel it's almost you've been through something. You've been through something, and the, having been through it, you're numbed. Yeah. It's not that you've done anything wrong, really. You've been faithful, and it's not that you've numbed your pain in any way. It's just the pain has left you numbed and crushed. And I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and birth something new out of the old. Something new out of the old. I ask you, Holy Spirit, where anyone feels that through disappointment and, and things being blocked and stuff happening, where they feel in their spirit that sense of, I'm crushed. I pray, would you come now? supernaturally and cause as it were like you know those coke cans when they get crushed and you see them and they get reversed on certain cameras you can see them pop open would you do that in, in a person's spirit who just thinks you know what I'm crushed and I ask right now for a flooding in of feeling delight in God of feeling you're loved of not just feeling you've got to go through the motions and just be faithful and grit your teeth and be stoical a delight to come in your name, Jesus. Yeah.
come and heal right in the core. In your name, Jesus. I want to pray for us for a revelation of our calling to live now in the light of the future. To live now in the light of the future. That where this life can be hard and difficult and brutal, yeah, bring it all to God. But there's a living now that there's a glory that's going to be revealed. There's a glory that's going to be revealed to the earth of the sons of God living in their freedom. So I pray, God, for a supernatural ignition of living now in the light of the future. He says in Hebrews that some people didn't get to see what they wanted and it's only in their connection to us that their dreams and their hopes were fulfilled. Some got their loved ones back, others were sawn in two, it said. I pray, Lord Jesus, do something radical in our hearts that we can see everything in the light of the future. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're going to birth something new out of the old. Lord Jesus, thank you that your church is still the very thing that you've said you're going to build on the earth. So captivate us with the wonders of the purpose you have for us. Let us see everything. This is not the end for me. This is just the beginning of life. Mm. Thank you, God. Mm, thank you, God. Amen. I'm going to spend a moment with God. Just You can't actually strive your way into this. Supernatural revelation that we're asking for. Bonhoeffer also said, he said, the call to discipleship is the call to die. And so much of our pain is often that we felt entitled for things to be different. We thought we merited it, deserved it, warranted it. And God is so generous and so good and he gives us so, so much. But he also said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. Lord Jesus, captivate us with your beauty and glory. Cause our greatest treasure to be that we are loved by you and we get to love you. Ruin us with a revelation of your affection and care and kindness. Grip us. Move upon us. Help us not to be like the rich young ruler who walked away because it was all too costly. Help us to not go through the motions, but to be revolutionised through an encounter with love. I ask you now, God, would you come to each of our hearts and fill us afresh with that wonder, that first love wonder. 
I hear you knock at the door and you say, open the door and I want to eat with you. So we pray for each of us, God, that where we have a revelation of actually we're naked, we're blind and we are hungry mm. and we open the door to you and we want to eat with you, Lord Jesus. Yes. Thank you that you don't push yourself in, you knock on the door and we hear the knock and we open the door. Maybe we'll finish with that. If you feel that's you, just say to Jesus, I want to eat with you, Jesus. I want to eat with you, Jesus. I want to go to that place that we were in the worship of get eye to eye, intimacy with you, face to face. Come in, Jesus. Come in, Jesus. I hear you knock. Come in, Jesus. Come in, Jesus. Do what only you can do. Come Touch my affections, touch my heart, touch my appetite, touch my life. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen.